0: Welcome to Technology Revolution, The Future of Now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: (laughs) The future of now hasn't happened yet. I'm Bonnie D. Thank you to the voice of Ryan Treasure. I'm so excited. This is week six of my annual crystal ball prediction special. We have a packed house if you're watching us on linkedin you can see my wonderful guests if you're watching us on facebook same and if you're listening to us on the voice america business channel well, just listen up because i got a panel for you. These are people who've been on various of my radio series in 2022. They accepted the invitation. They're going to share three and a half minutes of their best predictions on technology, on business, on strategy, whatever their industry is, and maybe you'll get a couple of sports predictions. We will be surprised. <laughs> so let me do my usual opening. I have some movie quotes, and then I will read a very brief bio of each guest. They're just going to say a quick hi and wave hello and then we'll get started. So here we go. I have a quote from Gusteau, voiced by the wonderful Brad Garrett. I think there's somebody with a Brad Garrett-esque voice on the panel today. Wait till you hear him. In The movie was Ratatouille, a 2007 computer animated comedy film. And the quote is, if you focus on what you left behind... You will never see what lies ahead. See, that's tied in with predictions. Then I have a quote from the lyrics of What It's Worth, a song Stephen Stills wrote, performed, as we all know, by Buffalo Springfield. Mickey is waving and, and nodding. 1966, there's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. That's what we're thinking about predictions. Then I have a quote from Don Draper, one of my favorite characters, played by John Hamm in Mad Men, of course, American period drama TV series on AMC 2007 to 2015 was about advertising the brutal world of advertising in that period and here is the quote if you don't like what's being said change the conversation ah predictions could do that too and one more quote from klaatu played by keanu reeves in the day the earth stood still a sci-fi drama 2008 and the quote is your problem is not technology the problem is you you lack the will to change So we may learn some areas where we can change. So if you're hoping to gaze into a crystal ball to see what 2023 holds, and it's already January 25th, where is it going? We've got the next best thing. Today is January 25th. I'm welcoming nine panelists from my shows in 2022. This is week six, as I mentioned, and I'm bringing you savvy predictions from a total of almost 60. We just froze visually, but you can still hear me. 60 thought leader futurists covering the exciting technologies, strategies, and trends that can help your business Your industry, your career, your family, your community, and the world thrive in 2023 and beyond. Next week, Technology Revolution, the Future of Now resumes our regular 2023 programming schedule. That'll be February 1st. So to my viewers and listeners, maybe even to my panelists, pour a mug of Joe, a cup of Earl, a glass of Jack. Mary likes this. And maybe if you have any leftover, Dom, pour it into a fancy flute and join me for Technology Revolution, the future of now 2023 Crystal Ball Predictions, week six live, and let's all make 2023 a much better year. I'm going to read the intros to my guests. We're freezing again. Thank you, Apple, for that. I appreciate that. And there you can hear me. So it's going to be a little jumpy here. Bill Pugh is up with us today. Bill, you can wave hello. He's the co-founder and managing partner of Smart Connections Consulting. He's an award-winning technology innovator helping cities, utilities, and OEM solution providers deliver on the promise of smart. Bill, thank you for joining me. Can't wait to hear your predictions. Then we have Mary Nischke. She is the founding member and first president of UAM Advisory, and she's a certified green multifamily building operator professional. With the Building Performance Institute, Mary, that's a long title. I want to see that business card. Chris Ortega is with us. He's a CEO. Chris, wave hello. There you are. Fresh FPA, a full-service company focused on business and financial transformation. With his expertise in finance accounting, financial planning, analysis, FPA, strategic planning, and financial leadership, he builds and shapes domestic multinational, and international matrix finance organizations. That's a mouthful, Chris. Always happy to talk to you. Karen Tenenbaum is with us today. Karen has been a tax attorney. I'm not going to tell you how many years, but it's a couple of decades with an LLM in tax, and she's a CPA. She founded Tenenbaum Law PC in Melville, New York. I'm a New Yorker, too, to help individuals and businesses facing IRS and New York State tax problems. We're just going to call them challenges. She's the chair of the Suffolk County Bar Association Tax Law Committee, vice chair of the New York State Society of CPAs Relations with the IRS Committee, and I will tell you that Karen attends approximately 1,200 events a week with dinners and lunches and breakfasts, and she's still a size zero, and I want to know her secret for doing it. I've never seen anybody post that many events that she attends and chairs and sponsors in the world. So Karen, you're still my hero for event attendance, getting out there and spreading the word. Thank you. Then we have Mark Leslie Lefebvre. Mark is an award-winning author of more than 30 books. He writes fiction and nonfiction under the title Mark Leslie. His titles include A Canadian Werewolf in New York. Oh, I don't think I met. I don't think I, I think I dated one of those. Sorry. Um, Fear and Longing in Los Angeles. Haven't gotten there yet. And Haunted Hospitals. He has served as the president of the Canadian Booksellers Association. Welcome, Mark. Then we have Dawn J. Rasmus and Dawn Wave Hello. She's a CPA certified public accountant and CFE certified fraud examiner, and she's the author of the novel 12 for 12. Dawn says, listen to this: she was born with a natural radar for detecting fraud. Dawn, there's so many careers you could have besides a CPA with a moniker like that. She has founded in every place she has ever worked, which began her study of criminology. Dawn, welcome. Then we have Freddie Cruz. Hi, Freddie Cruz. He's the founder of what else? Freddie Cruz Creative Works. It's a boutique agency. And the greater Houston, Texas area has heard Freddie's voice for more than 17,000 hours on weekday shows, community affairs shows, and podcasts, as well as in productions. Freddie, welcome. So happy to have you. And then we have DC Gomez. DC, wave hello. DC is an award-winning USA Today bestselling author, podcaster, motivational speaker, and a coach. After college, she joined the U.S. Army, served four years. Thank you for your service, D.C. She writes fiction and nonfiction, ranging from urban fantasies to children's books. And last but, of course, not least, we have... Mickey Mickelson, Mickey Wave, hello, just came back from a trip to South Africa. In 2006, he started working in the literary and bestseller book industry as special events manager for Chapters Indigo, which is Canada's largest bookstore chain in St. Albert, Alberta. And 10 years later, he founded Creative Edge Publicity, which he calls an aggressive PR firm advocating for the traditional and independent author and artist, and three of his clients are here today, Freddie and DC and Mark. So, Mickey, so happy to have you here. I'm going to start the party here with Bill Pugh. Bill, I'm putting you on speaker view. We're ready for your predictions. Knock it out of the park. Bill, go ahead.
0: All right. Well, look, I'm I'm looking at what uh, has been promised um, in the built environment over the course of the last few years. Right. Starting in November of twenty twenty one, when the infrastructure bill was signed into law, It's been a whole year. So we went through all of 2022 with people positioning themselves, companies positioning themselves, um, various consultants positioning themselves, a lot of talk about what was uh, needing to happen. My prediction, my first prediction is that we'll start to see the money flow in um, to all of these areas. And the very first area that uh, will be, I mean, because this is a generational thing, it just does not happen across the board where it impacts everything from grid resilience to uh, transportation to, um, I mean, all of this other, you know, special talk around AI and ML and all of these other supporting technologies. We're gonna see um the utilities and the grid make a transformational change in infrastructure um these are the things that are going to now support uh the, the things of electrification um you're going to see evs um, in a numbers that in numbers that we've never seen them before um, all of this is kind of drives itself next to the element of sustainability. I think we're going to see a huge push from a sustainability perspective and how buildings are being built and how uh, the environment is being treated. Um, and I think that that all of these things is, are going to result in a trickle down effect. So as we go from the grid to sustainability. We're going to see an improvement in terms of how uh, the farmland is treated, in uh, how food is grown and prepared and how it's shipped um, and how it gets from point A to point B. So that is another element of sustainability. And we're gonna see elements of how waste, food waste is treated. Um, These are are things that are absolutely paramount in terms of the future of our children and how they're going to treat the world. The next thing is I think that we're going to see a downturn in with respect to college grads and them going after money. A number of the college folks that I've talked to are not interested in working for the Googles, the Amazons, the Microsofts of the world. They're actually more caring about what what is your foundation for sustainability? What is your foundation for saving the world? What are you doing? What is your company doing and delivering in terms of services that are going to enable Uh, connectivity for underserved communities. We're turning away from, from the elements of I need money for me to I need to improve the WE. And that is, um, that, that is absolutely what I'm, what I'm seeing in, in that respect. The next thing is all of this conversation around the metaverse. Uh, we're going to see a downturn in that. Um, I mean, we are so far away from anything that represents those types of things. What you will see is the use of digital twins in a more functional fashion. That being a multitude of things, right? Because not all digital twins are the same. Um, the building environment, you know, and people that design and build buildings have been using a version of digital twins with the BIM model. Um, for a long time. What we're going to see now is digital twins used to visualize and actualize things predictively before they happen so that we can keep the grid from falling over, so that we can keep uh, energy and water flow happening. Um, and and I, I just think that that's going to be the realm that we operate in over the course of the next, next year, next two years, three years. These are the things that, that I'm seeing um, are going to happen.
1: Bill, thank you very much. That certainly set us off on a good tech tangent, and I wanted to comment that the values you're talking about with where college graduates are looking for where they want to work, what they want to do, the businesses they want to build, that what they want to sponsor and get involved with, we used to blame the millennials for that, didn't we, Bill? A few years ago, it was, <laughs> oh, they have values. They want to be part of a sustainable environment. They want to work for companies with values that are doing good for the world. And we used to say, oh, Absolutely. it's the millennials. And the and then the millennials came in and they started, well, first of all, they had expendable income. Karen knows about that and, and uh, John knows about that. But the point is that they all of a sudden were running companies and they were managers. And now what? They're in their late 30s, early 40s, mid 40s. They're managers, they're owners, they're entrepreneurs. And it looks like their value system has trickled out. I didn't say down, has trickled out and it's being embraced by more. Thank you very much. Good start,
2: Mary Nitschke. You're up next. Mary, your turn. Talk to us. Three and a half minutes. Awesome. go. Awesome. Well, it's always hard to follow Bill with that voice, Uh, and I sound a little bit like Eleanor Roosevelt. So apologies. It's not a good transition. Uh, And I'm really sort of an expansion of Bill's first prediction. So with this money coming in on sustainability, it's in a fund called ESG. You down with ESG? Yeah, you know me. ESG is just a type of reporting that the uh, real estate industry is focusing on with respect to funding. And it's gonna change a few things in the built environment. The first is we're gonna see smart solar. So we're, we're, we're going to see more and more um, what I call on-site renewable energy coming online in the built environment. Uh, these systems are going to create greater insight into usage. And everything that we know is the more you focus and measure something, the more you change it. And you usually change it in for the better. You usually change it and it reduces. It also is going to change the buying habits of consumers because we're going to be looking at our energy. Differently within our own homes, and I think where this is really going to be an expansive thing is we're going to look at what I call the vampire load. So the vampire load in our homes today is anything that's plugged in, uh, that's on demand and waiting for us to command, like 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 a, a, a smart device that you yell at and it suddenly turns on. It's always drawing energy, and we're going to look at those devices. Int- uh, differently, I think the big push is going to be we're going to see a shift in gaming systems uh, to uh, something that's more energy efficient, and I'm excited about this because I, I love this area of my home. But I don't know if a lot of people know that those gaming systems pull as much energy as a full size refrigerator because they're typically on and just boom, ready for you to start playing. I think we're going to start looking at smart plugs and plug loads differently as we start looking at that. So, so that's prediction number one prediction number two within this built environment is smart garages so we've talked about smart homes and that in the built environment I, I think we're gonna we're gonna go out into our garages as well and it sort of builds into what bill was talking about with EV EV uh, vehicles electronic vehicles uh, or electric vehicles excuse me coming online uh, this is going to change how we consume energy at our home because you, you think about you what that car needs to run. So we're going to be looking at smart garages when that vehicle charges. Uh, We're also going to be looking at potentially using those cars as a battery for your house when you have... A service interruption. So I think we're going to be looking at uh, not only uh, the garage as a, an extension of our home, but how we can use that garage and how we can be more efficient and how how we can help it. And the third prediction uh, is plants. And we're like, wait, what? This is technology. Uh, but I really think that this is really going to be a big transcendence. So a uh, fun fact, maybe not so fun fact, we spend about 90% of our lives indoors. Uh, and I think we're going to focus more on in air quality. We're going to start measuring it, uh, bringing this information into our systems with uh, sensors that we're looking at uh, carbon monoxide differently. Uh, we've seen a lot of uh, press recently around uh, cooktop ranges and uh, how uh, carbon monoxide uh, affects our health. But I think we're also going to be looking at how to integrate these into our thermostat. So we're not just reporting on temperature and humidity, but we're also reporting on that that indoor air quality, what that looks like. And this comes back to plants. So you've heard the old adage of a plant in, in every room. Plants naturally improve indoor air quality uh, because they absorb the carbon dioxide that we produce, that we emit, and they emit oxygen, which we need to ingest. And so I think we're going to be looking at our indoor air quality differently and using technology to really measure that. And then more on plants. Uh, I'm sure you've seen many articles uh, regarding uh, food uh, scarcity being a part of things. And, and uh, I don't think we're going to have smart chickens. I wish we had smart chickens. I don't know how we <laughs> manufactured those, but I think we're going to be looking at hydroponics differently. Um, if you You've read the Harry Harrison 1973 book, uh, Make Room, Make Room, which was the foundation for the film it Green. And if you haven't seen that film, it is awesome. it Green is people. Uh, We're going to be looking at hydroponics and homegrown food uh, differently uh, in the future because we're going to be be utilizing our homes and and keeping plants that are not just great for the indoor air quality, but for... um, for consumption. And this will lead into what I'll call smart composting. We're seeing more and more devices coming online within the home uh, to make composting more efficient. I think these things will become integrated into our smart environment and we'll be able to measure, uh, measure uh, as, as weird as this is going to sound, what you are making so that you're actually going to uh, see how you're helping uh, farmland and the soil and, and pre- prevent, frankly, against uh, drought, because that's a big component of composting. That's what I see. Mary, I wish, you know what, I don't think Eleanor Roosevelt
1: ever had that kind of verve and and zest when she spoke. Mm -hmm. I'm sure people listened all over the world. She was a brilliant woman, William States person, but I don't think any, I don't think she ever was known for that wow that you put in when you speak. Mary, quick comment about plants. I have discovered Mm -hmm. that if you take the seeds out of vegetables you buy to use in salads and soups, you can grow you can start. And I recently bought a yellow pepper. It was a nice pepper. And I cut it open and I carefully harvested the seeds. There were about 50 of them. And I dried them on a paper towel for a couple days. And then I put them in a little jar with fresh potting soil, a little bit of water, and just left them alone. Watered them a couple drops every day. I now have a little pepper plant garden that has over 50 plants. They are now almost two inches tall. I Thank you, Mark. I grew those when I was in Durham on my windowsill. I had, had a lot of jars. I use old glass candle holders. I, if there's a little wax left, I scrape it out and stick it in another candle. Wash them. They make beautiful planters. They're, they're of different shapes and sizes. I even leave the labels on them, which is fun for what the candles were. So I have a little planter with about 50 peppers. I started doing it with pears. I made a pear cobbler over the holidays and I took some pear seeds and I think I just saw the first two germinated and of course avocados and you can do it with all kinds of things so and and uh, by the way coleus cuttings if you take a little one even a leaf that falls off and you put it in water and root it, it they'll just grow they'll cover your house so anyway Mary thank you I, I, I I really appreciate that. It made me feel good about that. Mark, thanks for the hands up on that, the thumbs up on that one. Green thumb here, yes. Uh, Chris Ortega, you're up next. Chris, we can't wait. Go ahead and welcome back to Freddie who lost his power. He's back. Okay, Chris, what you got?
3: Thank you, everybody. Welcome and uh, good to see all my global accounting, finance, FP&A, and CFO leaders. So here are my top five predictions from straight from the office of the CFO and to all my fractional CFOs out there. The first one is our increase in value proposition inside the business, right? When you look at, I look at the the pandemic, you look at the two years afterwards, we're now entering a new phase of value for the office of the CFO. And a lot of that is demanded from the business, right? When the business and those finance leaders stepped up and shout out to all my chief revenue and my chief sales officers that looked at the FO and said, you know what, I don't know how to continue to navigate this uncertainty. And salute to those CFOs and those fractional CFOs that stepped up. So that's the first one. I continue to see our value proposition, not only in bigger companies, but all the way down to C companies, the need for a fractional CFO and the skills, passions, talents, and experiences that they come with day one, that's gonna be advantageous for businesses. The second one, let's talk to my, let me talk to my CFOs. Let's have a heart to heart. Body right now, right? The most important thing that we need to be thinking about from the people perspective is we need to ch- we need to take off that chief finance officer hat off. So take it off for a minute, let it let it get some air, and you need to put on that chief feelings officer hat, right? One of the most important things, and you see it across the industry, you see it with the layoffs, you see a lot of organizations that are right sizing, but we need to be not only the data driven making people inside the organization, we need to add that empathy in there as well too, right? We need to think about our people, how those people drive the processes in our organization, how we take those processes, turn in information, how that information is shared through knowledge to ultimately make a business decision. That is that empathetic data-driven decision-making framework. CFOs, that's a golden nugget for you. The third thing we need to tackle, hey, we need to be like marketing and sales. I'm saying it right now. We need to be technology adopters. Why is it we got to go through our US GAAP, our IFRS, our audit, our tax, our compliance? We got to go through this 10-page workbook of stuff before we adapt technology. If you look at the value prop that I mentioned earlier in that first tip, technology is helps us scale, right? We don't have the luxury of sales and marketing that when sales and and revenues increasing, you go hire more salespeople. Nobody looks at the office of the CFO and say, hey, go hire more accountants or go hire financial people, right? We need to be leveraging technology and we need to leverage technology to get us out of that low value, manual, routine, real data heavy pieces of it. Because right now, if you've got that high potential, high performing person on your team and you've got them doing data mining, you've got them in these low value activities, they're already looking for a job. They've already quiet quit. Those are the quiet quit people. The fourth thing is um, we want to continue to this uncertainty and challenge, right? For those CFOs, the balance that we need to have is we need to move away from precision in our long-term plans, right? Meaning precision is that 95, 98% confidence level in the next 12 to 18 months. I still don't understand why CFOs are doing 24 month long range planning when it's like, we need to shift to more agile planning and have that precision, that 95 to 98% confidence interval, in that next 90 days, right? that's how we need to start thinking about it. So shifting away from this long, broad range planning to get down and having pinpoint precision and accuracy in the next 60 to 120 days. As we continue to navigate continued uncertainty, we've got the global uh, recession that we're seeing. we got the U.S. recession. There's a lot of macro factors that CFOs are keeping up at night. So we need a balance and setting the communication with our business partners that, hey, We're gonna have the best information in the next 60 to 120 days. The The last top five prediction I give for CFOs and fractional CFOs and finance professionals, legacy. Please believe right now we have the opportunity to rewrite what it means to be a CFO for the next 10, 15, 25 years, right? And that's one thing I get really passionate about, right? We have this opportunity to rewrite that legacy that we bring and to be better collaborators, to be better great communicators, to build connection inside the organization, to build a community, to ultimately bring clarity to the organization. That's my top fives around that. And lastly, I'll give my sports back. Tom Brady's finally going to retire. Brady, wash it up, bro. You're done. Hey, you've had a great, you're the GOAT. Everybody can say it. Wrap it up. My other sports prediction, LeBron is going to be the top scorer in the NBA. and He's going to be on a path of playing with his son on his team. Let's go. Those are my predictions.
1: Thank you, Chris. Two questions. You know that there's a brand new movie coming out on February 3rd, apparently not streaming, but in theaters with Lily Tomlin and uh, Rita Moreno and, um, uh, Uh, Who else? A couple of other. um, Jane Fonda. Jane Jane Fonda. Fonda. And and there's one more. Sally Field. And it's called 80 for Brady. And it's about four senior women who want to go to the Super Bowl and they're going to be cheerleaders or something. The promo is very, very funny. They're airing it on TV, but it won't be be streaming, which is too bad because I would love to see it. And Jane has this incredible blonde flip wig that would just knock your socks off. So anyway, very, very funny. Uh, Chris And you have to be, they need to be, the 60 to 90 day, the precision pinpoint planning. I'm hoping that you're predicting that will start to take hold in 2023, yes or no?
3: Yes, yes, okay, good. most that's, definitely.
1: That's what I wanted to get. We have another, fi- we're finance heavy today. Here we go. Karen Tenenbaum is next. My size zero tax CPA from Long Island. Karen, it's always wonderful to have you and everybody I want you to see on the left of her uh, her screen there is Walter the Vault. That's the character she invented years ago who brings financial <laughs> literacy. There he is. He's a stuffed toy and he brings financial literacy to children. And that again, as I told all of you before the show was one of my top topics on technology revolution for all of 2022. We had over 8,000 listeners in the first couple of weeks to that show. So Karen, bravo to you and your colleagues. Karen, you're up, three and a half minutes, go for it.
4: Okay, so uh, I'm a tax attorney. I'll start with that actually. Uh, The IRS, we handle the tax problems. The IRS has been uh, funded for $80 billion unless uh, it's taken away, which I, I hear some rumblings about that. Um, and it's going to substantially increase uh, tax enforcement. And so what we think we're going to see are a lot more IRS audits. Uh, usually they're auditing, uh, what, what you would think they would be auditing would be the, the high uh, net worth people, but we actually, uh, I think we're going to see a little bit more uh, middle level uh, going forward. Uh, the IRS has also changed the rules for offers and compromise a little bit, and so if you want to pay less than you owe, you know, you hear all these commercials pay less than you owe, that's an offer compromise. And because they've now upped the expenses, uh, I think you're going to see people trying to settle for even a lower amount. And you're going to see more and more of those offers. But however, I think it's going to be a little bit tougher because now they're requesting additional information. So if you were, if you have a personal uh, debt, uh, you owe taxes personally, now they're going to ask for uh, financial information relating to your businesses, and so I think that's going to make it a little bit tougher to get an offering compromise. On the state level, uh, New York has increased their uh, income tax rate for people earning more than a million and couples earning more than two million, and they've created new tax brackets. And I think because of that, you're going to see uh, more and more people leaving New York. They've already left New York, and I think if you read, um, you know, what's going on during the pandemic. Uh, New Yorkers, I think, went to Florida and Texas where there's no taxes and it's warmer. And I think that you're going to see a lot more of that. And we handle a lot of residency matters. And it's very complicated. We represent people who are remote, working remotely, working from anywhere. And New York State is still saying, you owe money here. So I think we're going to see a lot more of the audits of that. And I think we're going to see um, a lot more challenges at higher levels. But now let's talk about Walter of the Waltz. So, uh, <laughs> did you see him, right? Yes. I'm Walter the Vault. I'm friendly and nice. I'm filled up with rhymes and financial advice. And our goal is to teach children at the lowest level, at the youngest level, uh, good good financial um, skills, so that they can make decisions and learn how to earn and learn how to spend and learn how to save and learn how to donate. And I think we're going to see a lot. Um, uh, of the world going digital as we already have. And I think the kids are gonna learn online a lot more. And we're also seeing a cashless society. Venmo, Zelle, even with a credit card, tap to pay. And and there's a lot of uh, kid-friendly debit cards and apps. And so I think the kids are gonna need to learn if they can't physically touch the money, they they still have to learn how to use it. And so I think we're gonna see a lot more financial education Online, which is a good thing, and through social media. Those are my predictions.
1: Thank you very much, Karen. And what's the future for Walter the Vault? Is he getting a sister or a brother or a cousin or a family? Or, or where, where is he going? Because we know that, as you said, kids need, and, and when we did the financial literacy show with you and your colleagues a couple months ago, I said that I think adults need re education in finance because I recently went through as an independent, I'll call myself a gig worker. I went through a battle with trying to get a mortgage. And by the way, Tennessee doesn't have state tax either. And I think you're seeing a lot of people leave the the Northeast and come down here to Tennessee because of that. But doing battle with banks and trying to get mortgage and understanding HOAs and POAs and fees and and, uh, insurance and Medicare, I think we need Reeducation of people over, I'm just gonna say the age of the speed limit in New York, I think it's still fifty-five on most parkways. I call that. I'm being very genteel about this. Sorry, Eleanor Roosevelt. And I don't know why I said that, Mary. And I, I I predict that somebody, Karen, is going to take up that charge, pun intended, of educating adults over a certain age and how do you how do you deal with how do you deal with taxes? Can you use a tax app? Do you still need to pay thousands? of dollars ah, to a, a CPA firm to do your taxes every year? And, and when can we understand what we're doing? So, Karen, that's just a charge I'm putting out for you and your colleagues for... Uh, k- Karen, quick comment back well, before Mark, Yes, well, I'm,
4: uh, I'm right. a, in addition to being an attorney, I'm a CPA, and I'm very active in the New York State Society of CPAs. And I was the inaugural mm-hmm. chair of the Financial Literacy Committee. And we put together resources. It's a little old at this point. I'm not currently the, the chair, and I don't know if they've been updated, but you could go to their... New York State Society of CPA's website and look up um, uh, my name and it'll pop up with resources from every age from three to adult. And there will be links if they're still working uh, on, on financial literacy. Or you, you could go to walterthevault.com. Uh, we have a lot of free resources there as well um, for kids, parents, and teachers. Thank you very much. I want to teach myself.
1: Mark is smiling. Mark, that's a perfect introduction for you. Mark, the author of Fiction and Nonfiction, you're up three and a half minutes. Go. Thank you, Karen.
5: So I've been a writer, publisher my entire life. I've always been concerned with the future and the evolution of what this writing thing is. I'm going to start off with the three predictions that I'm going to dig into in a little bit. And I think that The future of writing and publishing is going to be more collaborative than ever before. It's going to be more accessible for both writers and readers, and it's going to be super-powered creativity. And let me explain that a little bit. When you think about what writing and publishing is, it really is the ultimate way that humans connect with one another. If you go back to the early days of of what writing became, it was really storytelling. It was really sitting around intimately, around a fire perhaps, sharing knowledge, information, and inspiration. Basically, one person communicating to one or more other people live right there. That evolved, it changed with every single evolution that we've seen in the publishing space. It's allowed more people to have more access to it. So the question when we look at, and a lot of people in the writing and publishing industry right now are terrified with what's going on with AI and technology, I want to remind us of some things. I'm a storyteller in a village. I'm sharing something. I'm inspiring the youth. I'm giving uh, information and knowledge. Is it cheating when I use a pen to put that on paper? Is it cheating to take that and put it on Project Gutenberg so that more people can have access to the information and the knowledge that has eventually led to what's become the World Wide Web? Is it cheating if I don't type my manuscript on a typewriter, but I instead use a computer to type and produce that manuscript? We need to think of these things as tools, as things we can employ. When I go back to When I go back to looking at uh, the future of publishing, I've always thought that the future of publishing would be more collaborative. be writers collaborating with publishers, writers uh, collaborating with agents and editors and publicists, and, and with readers in a more intimate way than ever before, thanks to social media and the way that we can reach out and share what we loved about those stories, just like at the story fire, just in front of the fire you could see the looks on the faces of the people you were sharing the stories with. The other thing that I think is incredible is accessibility. There are, I had a book that was not in audio yet, and I had a reader who could not read it in ebook format, could not read the physical copy, was asking if it was available in audio. I didn't have the time or inclination to spend the 100 hours to record it and produce it, et cetera. But within three hours using the Google AI voice, I was able to produce an audio version that this person can consume it made it more accessible writers have long been on the backs of all of the when you think about ai is just going and taking information from around the world and it's throwing it together in some hodgepodge well that's what we do as writers we absorb from the world around us we absorb the things we see, feel, experience. Shakespeare was ripping off the Greek plays and tragedies, so it's not all that different. Writers need to embrace and absorb the ability for using chat GPT and other AI tools as tools, the way they use Microsoft Word, the way they use ProWritingAid or Grammarly, the way they work with other editors and collaborators, it can allow them to shorten some of the other work that's required so they can produce more, they can create more, people can have access to consume products in more ways than ever before. Just like the ebook opened up the possibilities of getting more books into the hands of more readers, these new tools, if we employ them properly, if we can embrace them, if we can use them, if we can leverage them in powerful ways, we can ensure that the stories that we share, that the information, that the knowledge and the information that we want to share to better society, can happen in a more powerful way where more people can enhance their own creativity by helping and collaborating with one another. I am so optimistic and so excited about what this means for the, the future of writing and the future of publishing.
1: Thank you very much, Mark. I will tell you that I was introduced by a guest on on the first episode of this special back in December to the concept of ChatGPT. So I joined it. It's still in beta. It's still free. Uh, it was over capacity last week. They said their servers couldn't handle anymore, and it was it wasn't down. It was just nobody could get in. I, I think they just didn't know what to do, and. I asked it because I've been trying to write a novel for two years now and I'm stuck because I'm having so much fun writing it. I can't seem to get to the punchline of the murder mystery. I'm just having too much fun putting it together. So I asked it to write an opening for a murder thriller for me with with a sense of humor. And within one second, ChatGPT returned a uh, three paragraph opening to a novel with a description of time and place the lead character the name of the detective what his genre was how happy or sad them and then i said make it funnier and it gave me another one with a female detective this time and a funnier and now this was going to be the funniest case she had ever solved and it was just a blast i I'm, I'm using it now to help me write openings for some of my radio shows, but I'm always telling people it came from, and I'll say to it, I'm doing a show on patents coming up next week, and I said, tell me the history of patents. Tell me a humorous take on why the U.S. Patent Office exists. Tell me the top five females, top five males who've ever received patents in the world. One second each, and I had this much text that, I I love doing research, as you all know, but this was just amazing to me. But the movie quotes it finds are just spectacular. So, yes. And then the question is, and I'm doing a show with some thriller novelists and some AI experts coming up in, in March on who owns the IP. Who owns the intellectual property? If I ask ChatGPT or Jasper or any of those services to write a paragraph for me, and I use it in a book, and the book gets popular and makes money, and somebody says, oh, wait a minute, you didn't make that. ChatGPT did. Who owns the IP? Who gets the money? Another topic. Thank you very much. Mark, appreciate your predictions. Dawn,
6: you're up. Go. Three and a half minutes. Ready. Okay. Hi, Bonnie. Hi. So my predictions for, I have two major predictions, and that is that fraud is going to increase due to the effects of artificial intelligence. Um, Mostly, well, in a lot of ways, but one of the ways that that they're talking about is the use of synthetic IDs from electronic sophistry that we have never seen before. Entirely false personas developed using partially legit and falsified credentials um, collected through more AI bots and malware. But it's expected to be advanced enough to, like, for example, it, it could interact with a call center performing impersonation and gaining voice bot trust and providing information that can give access to accounts, which is terrifying. But if you combine that with like in the middle of next year, the Fed now is releasing, you know, RTP, which is the real time payment rail system. And it basically will bypass and eventually replace the automated clearinghouse system, which all of our banks use at present. Um, And now if you think about that, traditional banks may not be early adopters of the new RTP system, but other fintechs like neobanks will surely jump on board, making it easier and faster to move money and aid in theft and money laundering if there's no delay in processing the funds. Once it's gone, it's gone. There's no retrieval. So that's my first major prediction about fraud. My second major prediction is that fraud detection will be improved on a very grand scale um, using similar technology. I mean, we're going from old blockchain technology that was data mining to um, machine learning technology, which used a lot of algorithms and patterns, um, swipe patterns and things like that, um, to artificial intelligence, which by definition incorporates human understanding, It's insane. Um, We're now being able to apply behavioral analytics that can do use, it's AI modeling that can flag patterns and target and even reject specific transactions. I mean, it's absolutely trailblazing. And to use that little word that you said, quirkily. (laughs) So I think it's gonna greatly aid in targeting true problems for investigations that weren't able to be spotted before. It's very exciting. And as for my third prediction, I also predict that I might have to reach out to Mickey to see what I can do for more aggressive book sales. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> I told you, you meet very interesting people here. Dawn, that is fascinating. And I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. I, I uh, sold some of the antiques I inherited from my mother in, in a major auction house in Durham before I moved to Tennessee a couple months ago. And I got the proceeds check and I deposited it by mobile okay, Mm -hmm. to a reputable bank, okay. And they said, great, we got your check. And on Monday, we're going to give you this much money. And on Tuesday, this much money. And the balance will be available on Thursday. Five minutes later, I got an email that said, it looks like this check is going to be returned. We are holding all the funds on this check for a week until we check it out. So Mm -hmm. I called my daughter, who also sold antiques that she inherited from my mom, for twice the amount that I netted because she had a, a... more valuable things she was selling. Her check was deposited to the same bank by mobile and it cleared and it was available two days later. No questions asked for twice the amount. So I contacted the auction house. I said, is there a problem? And they had their accountant call me. And she mm-hmm. said, we've never seen this before. Why are they holding your check? And we have, anyway, this may be tangentially related, but what I'm most interested on is the fact that cybersecurity, there, there will be new ways of, countering the fraud and countering the cyber. And that's the important thing that we all would like. We wanna stop the financial phishing. I think the Nigerian bank scam is still alive and well. I still get those one or two a year. (laughs) I got a statement from somebody I've never heard of from a website and an email that didn't exist telling me there was a document from the radio station that sponsors the show. And I opened it and nothing was coming. And I finally said to them, who is this woman? They said, we never heard of her. Don't open anything. She had a document that had the name of the company on it. And it said payment notice.
6: Oh, they're
1: are, very persuasive. Oh, they're very, very, very persuasive. And I've asked them to send it to everybody who gets payment from them to please send a warning document. Anyway, thank you very much. Let's move on. We've got 12 minutes left. We have three more presenters. Freddie Cruz, you are up. Let's hear what your predictions are. Go. Freddie? There we Ready?
7: go. There, there we, we go. go. Okay, love, I was muted. Up. I was okay, muted. There. Sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, well, I've got a a few predictions regarding the podcast space. Uh, You may or may not have seen an article from The Verge come out just this week. It says that new podcast launches are down 80%. And what I interpret from that 80% decrease in launches of new shows is that people sitting on the fence now have 80% less competition, 80% less noise to have to deal with. So people on the fence of whether or not they want to launch a podcast are going to be like, hmm, I'm ready. I'm going to go. This is my year, dang it. So uh, these these can be B2B types. These could be solopreneurs, creatives, maybe... Maybe 2020 was stressful. They, you know, people had to work from home and they weren't like the people who were, you know, merely experimenting with podcasts. Maybe 2023 is their time to experiment, but they've been kind of sitting in the back, watching the habits and studying the craft. Maybe it goes beyond just a a Rogan type. This can be studying someone like Andrew Huberman, who's Huge in the neuroscience space, or studying somebody within manufacturing, and and deciding, you know what? Okay, I want to be the next whatever that person is, and this is my year. I'm going to take the plunge, and this is what this is how it's going to work. So I think you're going to see a surge in podcasts um, from that from that <clears throat> standpoint. I think people who are already podcasting, like you uh, and me. Uh, we we're gonna see an increase in productivity. You just spoke to the the awesomeness that is Chat GPT. I freaking love it. I'm on board with it. I'm with you, Mark. Uh, this is a tool that it's like okay, well, I just did all this work, but it wasn't really work because Chat Deep Chat GPT type it spit out an answer in the amount of time I can get my One sausage second. fingers to freaking type in the question. I'm like, dude, oh my gosh. So. Uh, I'm gonna do i'm I was pondering a multiple episode uh, launch from my personal podcast, and now I'm gonna do it. It's a six episode um premiere season three launch just because it's easier to write show notes and to do the the uh, the episode, the episode show prep. So automatically, right out the gate. it's um it's it's a it's a lifesaver. and not just for podcasters, but creatives as well. You're talking about writing a book, Bonnie. I mean, hello. Um, I know I know that with the IP issue that could be that opens up a whole bunch mm-hmm. of different gray areas, But I think that there is so much upside to it. Um, and Mark, as you say, it's a tool. And you know what? It's gonna be here whether we like it or not. If anybody, yes. I think we're I think we're we're, um, I'd like to think that everyone on this panel is optimistic about the future. Um, But anybody watching who may be like, no, it's the rise of the machines and jobs are going to be lost. Well, I believe in this thing called creative destruction. And thank goodness somebody invented the car because my goodness, there are like a whole bunch of other, there are a whole bunch of like horse and carriage people who found much better gigs. So uh, (laughs) that's what I got to say about that. Um, I think also when you look at the podcast landscape, and this just fires me up in so many ways, there are more than 2 million shows in existence when you think about it, which when you zoom out and you've got, what, 8 billion people, 2 million is a really, really small number. In the United States alone, you've got depending on the study that you look at, 40 to 50% of people who have actually even listened to a podcast. That's an incredible upside. But going back to that 2 million show number, only about half a million or so podcasts are actually active. Like your show, Bonnie, constantly churning out the episodes, constantly, Mm -hmm. constantly getting those reps in. So what I think is going to happen is uh, people who are ready to launch And are okay with shouting into an empty forest for 10, 20, 30 episodes and are willing to tough it out are going to see some major upside in a year or two years as long as they're willing to get those reps in.
1: Thank you very, very much. Very, very interesting. Yeah, I I do 50 live episodes of this show, Freddie, and I have a show on creativity. You've been on it. DC's been on it. Mark's been yeah. on it. called Read My Lips, Cool Conversations with Creators Monday Nights, and I do 50 live episodes of those. Plus, I have several client podcasts. In my heyday a couple of years ago, when it was really booming, I had 18 series all live at the same time and was doing six hours of live shows a week with shared time slots, where I had four series rotating one a week into the same time slot and I was driving the engineers crazy but I said I'll always tell you which show is on today in that time slot it was a blast sometimes two hours a day on that note DC Gomez we're ready for you my dear keep it tight and then Mickey you're going to wrap it up DC you're all in
8: go thank you thank you by the way thank you Freddie you just made my day as a podcast I'm like that is the best prediction ever (laughs) so thank you thank you so as a writer one of my predictions is you're going to be seeing a change on how writers communicate and much more focused on connecting. One of the things that we're seeing a lot is the trending in social media changing. Facebook's no longer the place that people are finding their readers. It's no longer the place where people are connecting. People are switching to TikTok, which is a little scary for a lot of introvert writers to go, mm, do I really want to have my face out there and connect? But now is the time to get very aggressive in terms of where you're going to find your true tribe and who are they going to be. Another thing you're going to be seeing is readers are going to be much more focused on authenticity. They're not interested in just what the book looks like, what the blur, what the cover, they're going to love it. But they're also very much into the fact that they're looking to see who is a problematic author. You know, are you representing these cultures properly? Are you creating the essence of a true character? So you're going to be seeing a change where readers used to be a lot more easygoing and caring and much more forgiving in terms of what a book and much more expecting of writers to be much more in point, to do the research, to care about what they're creating. And to come up with a product that is going to connect. And it doesn't matter whether it's fiction, nonfiction, you're going to be seeing the change in the training. And you can think TikTok, you can think book talk, because now writers are being called to the table. Now they're being put on the stand and saying, hey, you created this. What are you going to do about it? it's not a bad thing. I think people get very sentimental, like, oh my God, what am I going to say? Just be authentic. If you made a mistake, own it, address it, correct it, and then move on and continue to create instead of feeling that. I have failed the world and my words are going to be destroyed. That's not the case. So authenticity, connecting, being able to open into truly giving your audience and those readers and product that they want from your soul is going to be a huge trend that you're going to be seeing.
1: Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. I will tell you that the opening line of my novella, I'm up to 24,000 words, and those of your writers know that's a novella, it's not a novel. It's, it was not a dark and stormy night because the Homeowners Association forbade it. And now you know, now, now you know, now you know the tone. It is hysterically sarcastic. And I have a, a pseudonym picked out, which has a color for the first name and a wine for the second name. I've already checked with some of my winery friends on how I'm going to represent myself. Mickey Mickelson, you're up. Thank you, DC. That was great. Mickey, go. Two, two, two minutes. That's all I got. Go.
9: Two minutes? Well, Two and a half minutes. Two and a half. Well, thank Minute. you all for your predictions. Um, it's a hard act to follow, but I'm going to try. Uh, I'm a I'm a book publicist, actually a creative publicist. My my focus in the last six years around book industry it's it's changed so much. And here are some realities, and then I'll get to my predictions. But here are some realities. There's over one million to two million books being published on Amazon every single year. The self publishing space has changed dramatically. the The book industry is as, as a total that's one aspect. Secondly. Media are changing daily on how they're looking at opportunities, how they're looking at everything. In fact, last month, the USA Today eliminated or put on hiatus their bestseller list, which essentially changed the rules for anthologies, everything like that. And then, of course, finally, we have the COVID situation, which changed the book industry in total. And this is where my predictions are lying as a result of that. So I have a couple of predictions around that. And yes, I will have, I thank you, I will have a couple sports predictions as well. But number one, any authors, creativities, anybody like that who are going to have success in 2023 and going forward are going to really have to diversify what they're doing. You have actors, you have musicians, you have nonfiction authors writing fiction books and vice versa. And anyone who's having success are gonna to have to think differently about how they're marketing their books. Authors who are on book Talk, authors who are on Facebook, and not doing anything in the traditional sense are not gonna have the same level of success that those authors who are doing everything in total and, and following the book rules. Not pumping out a book every month, but making sure that you're pumping out a quality product that could be leveraged and marketed over a stronger sense of time. That's my first prediction. My second prediction revolves around brick-and-mortar stores. They're going to have to start diversifying their mindset and realizing the book signings, thank you, Bonnie, the book signings are not going to be successful unless you're tying it back to the sale of ebooks and audiobooks. And the way to do that is focusing more on virtual events that can reach a larger amount of people rather than just having An individual book signing which is nice because you can talk with your readers and have a more personal look the problem is you're not going to be able to diversify and get the word spread out from that aspect so those are two very very strong areas and my third prediction around this is mainstream media are going to start looking at indies for coverages it's already started the new york times has focused on covering an indie for their publication this last year, for the first time ever, the largest trade journal in North America, published weekly, gave a five-star review to an indie book. And even last week, an indie author was featured on Good Morning America for the first time in over eight years. So the landscape is changing. I'm not saying it's doom and gloom for the New York Times bestsellers out there, but if an indie has a high quality book, they're starting to be looked at. And that is that is good news for the industry.
1: Sports prediction. Two
9: seconds. Go fast, Mickey. The Cincinnati Bengals will win the Super Bowl this year.
1: Thank you very much. Everybody get your order in for whatever deli you're going to have that day. I want to thank all of you. Mickey, we're going to do a show on the future of publishing with you and Amy, and we'll we'll get that in April. So we'll do a okay. whole whole prediction show. Looking I want to thank everybody. But everybody, on the count of three, you're going to join me and say no, no, no. People say the future is already here. And we say one, two, three, no, no, no. No, no, no. no, no, no. no. That's because. no. no. Thank you, Chris. That was yesterday's future. That already happened. That's gone. Whoops, it's gone. We have a future ahead of us. We're all going to try our best to make it a better one. Thank you to Andrew, my engineer, Voice America.
0: Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.